Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Sunday. Going to talk some USC Trojan football with Coach Harvey Hyde. Follow him on Twitter at Coach Harvey Hyde. We love talking to USC football here. We love to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments, as always, email us, podcast at uscfootball.com, or you can call or text, and the number is 424 254 Nine one four one. Try to keep the voicemails brief. We're getting these three-minute voicemails lately. We just can't play them all. Sorry about that. It's just too long. But uh, try to leave us a brief voicemail, and we'd love to play it for you. We got some stuff for you today from the the listeners out there, and we have Coach Harvey Hyde to answer your questions. Talk about what he saw at practice this past week. Like I said, follow him on Twitter at Coach Harvey Hyde. What's up, Coach? How are you? Ryan, good morning to everyone out there. Yeah, we had a big week at USC this past week. Football on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. A lot of football, a lot of football to talk about. And again, we want to thank all of you for sending in your questions because that's what makes our show and all, you know, you got to remember this. It's just our opinion. But Brian, it's great to be with you here on a Sunday. And uh, let's get started. Yeah, let's do it. I want to thank our sponsor, Southern California Tickets. Go to sctickets.com or give them a call at 1-800-888-7287. If you need tickets for anything, baseball season's starting up. That's cool. You're going to see the Dodgers, Angels, or wherever you are across the country. Southern California Tickets can not only help you out here in L.A., but all the way across the country. So check them out, sctickets.com. Ask for Curtis and tell him the coach sent you, and uh, he'll, t- he'll take care of you. Curtis does a great job there. Um, well, coach, they did a practice on Friday. Uh, they've moved them around a little bit, some Fridays, some Saturdays, but sat, uh, Friday was the first scrimmage type of situation, uh, full pads. I wanted to get your thoughts on what you saw out there. You were there, uh, watching from our little pen, the media pen. Uh, but kind of, what did you see from this first scrimmage? Well, uh, I tried to watch some of the individual drills earlier and uh, see what was going on and they did some seven on seven and they did some goal line passing game without without the line here early in the scrimmage uh, portion of the uh, practice uh, they took some snaps under center which I really liked I saw a little bit of a jumbo type of formation as far as with two tight ends and a little motion uh, and uh, you know some things that we've talked about in the past now I don't know how far they're going to take this and if there's just practicing it, or they're going to utilize it and use it. Everything was a one-back set, which, uh, again, you know, I've always talked about the possibility of possibly learning a two-back set and utilizing that to assist your quarterbacks and making your quarterback not a running back in this offense, but only a scrambler in this type of offense, which both of these quarterbacks can do adequately. So, I noticed that uh, I was concerned a little bit about some of the drop passes, a lot of drop passes in the scrimmage itself. And, again, that could be just because it's the first time under the real deal. But I think there's got to be an emphasis that every time you drop a pass, that costs a touchdown, and it could make the difference in a game. So I think that's something you've got to clear up. One of the 
things that I've always discussed uh, in the past, and I'm sorry the first things I'm noticing or mentioning to you are negative things or things that I think that we should do and positive things too, when I say we, USC, is they had the trouble again snapping the ball. The first three or four plays in the scrimmage itself, the ball was going all over the place, and and uh, I've never seen them really work live on the snapping during passing drills or anything where they put somebody on the nose and make him block somebody, and the centers have practice in snapping the football before they go to a live scrimmage type of situation. So I think those things have got to get straightened up because that's the start of any football play is the snap from the center to the uh, quarterback. So I, I saw that, and I thought that's something that needs to be done. I saw Tyler Vaughn make a nice block on uh, Dominic Davis's uh, swing pass touchdown down there in the scrimmage. Tyler really stayed uh, up and continued to block and maintain it where Dominic gets all the credit and Tyler gets the block. But I think you've got to understand that receiving is part of being a, uh, a whole football team. You're not just catching passes, but you're being a part of every play, whether it's a run, pass, or whatever. And I saw that out of Tyler Vaughn. Uh, not anything new in the offense, which a little bit disappointed me. And another thing too, during the scrimmage, I really felt that they should work on series and develop the basic, uh, things they do rather than jump around and try a little bit of everything, which they did. So, uh, saw one option play and I just, uh, said, please don't run that play again, but it's not an option. It's just a toss outside and the te techniques weren't really taught properly. So it's better not to run a play live unless you have a reason to and uh, run it with some technique involved in it. Uh, so, you know, there's a lot of little things uh, in the first scrimmage you see, and, you know, you think you're pretty good until you go in on Saturday and Sunday and start watching the tape, and then you say to your staff, you know, we're not going to beat anybody. So uh, that's what I thought. I didn't see any real uh, potential big-time uh, plays or uh, standouts or any of that. But, again, they only scrimmaged about 30 plays, right? I didn't count them, but they only went about 30 plays. So that's basically a quick summary of it. But I know uh, there'll be a lot of questions, and you'll ask me some too. Yeah, Coach. And, then, you know, uh, I was there on Tuesday, and I think watching the two quarterbacks throw, my general takeaway was in the passing game, uh, for whatever reason, a lot of balls did hit the ground, and I think there were some drops, but I think it just seemed it wasn't, I don't know, it just really wasn't clicking on all cylinders. You know, it could be the quarterback's fault sometimes, receivers, uh, maybe a defensive player making a good play, but it just didn't seem to be kind of flowing that way. Is that sort of what you saw, too? Was it was it just the receivers, or it was just all of the, the passing game just wasn't really working all that well? Uh, I thought it was the whole thing. I agree with you 100%. I didn't want to say that, but the intensity and the excitement, and the, uh, it was just sort of a, a boring boring uh, scrimmage. What I mean by that, there wasn't really any really getting after it or excitement among the coaches or big plays or somebody missed the block, anybody really you know, saying, hey, run that play again or any of that. I know they don't want to do that because uh, they lose time during the period, but, you know, the, the most uh, error, if there was any uh, loudness in the library setting, it was hurry up, hurry up, line up, line up, line up, which they're trying to run again, the hurry up offense. And again, I'm seeing people coming in on and off the field late and holding it up. So I don't think it's uh, something you have to hurry up and hurry up and hurry up and do. I think it's 
part of executing properly and making sure that everybody knows what's going on. And you've always heard me say that I like to huddle, and everybody says, well, everybody's not doing that anymore. My, my thinking is, Ryan, we don't care what anybody else is doing. We're going to do it our way, USC's way, and then everybody will want to do it our way, which is communicate, line up, and beat people. The, uh, I mean, everyone's looking at the quarterbacks, and it uh, didn't seem that you know, either one had a great day. Maybe Jack Sears played a little bit better, get your kind of thoughts on that. But after, it was a weird week because you had Sam Darnold just absolutely kill it at the pro day, and most people think he's going to be the number one overall pick, kind of showcasing how special of a player, and I guess reminding USC fans how special of a player he was and then you watch what's going on in spring practice. Now, obviously, it's a long way before the season, but did it make the gap between what Sam Donald brought to the table and what USC has now like look even wider after watching and seeing what was happening on Pro Day and then watching that scrimmage? Yeah, I think it's true. I, I think everybody's trying to uh, uh, compare maybe with Sam Donald with these young quarterbacks, and you can't compare Sam Donald with anybody. You know, he's a guy that comes along one every 10 years or whatever uh, at any university. And he's the, when you're, when you're being considered the first player picked, whether he is or he isn't in the NFL draft, that's a pretty good athlete. Okay. And that's a, that's a, a freak. What I mean is he does what he's supposed to do really well. And uh, he made it happen. He made it happen. And everybody sort of relied on him making it happen. I mean, Sam will take care of this, and Sam will take care of that. And Sam really sometimes tried too hard and caused some interceptions or fumbles or so on during his career. But, yes, you don't replace Sam Darnold. You've got to be able to develop an offense that sound, doesn't beat itself, develop some leadership out there, and go a different route. You can't just be and say, well, who's going to be the next Sam Darnold? Well, if that comes along, that's great. But don't expect any of these young kids coming in or put that pressure on them to be Sam Darnold. If you start to compare them with Sam Darnold, you're not going to get anywhere. But you better be able to use the talent that you have on your roster to develop a great offensive football team. For defensively, you're supposed to be pretty good. So you don't want to put your defense in a bad position by causing turnovers or not moving the football and keeping them on the field the entire time. So you better develop some type of thought on how you're going to do that and what you do, do well. Just don't do everything. And also, one of these quarterbacks are going to have to step up. Right now, to me, they both seem a little tentative on who's going to be the leader, who's going to speak out. I know they go to meetings together, they're buddies, they do all they do things together. Uh, but somebody's got to step up and say, huddle up, damn it or do something that needs to be done to show and demonstrate the type of leadership you need to have, no matter what that is. The uh, You mentioned the defensive side, and I wanted to see if anything kind of stood out to you uh, defensively. I mean, seeing Port Augustine out there, we don't really remember that because he, he was gone most of the last year. Um, you know, guys like Cameron Smith being back and Marvell Tell. And, um, any kind of thoughts on what you saw defensively from USC at the scrimmage? Well, you know, uh, you got to be able to run on defense, and that's something I'm real concerned with. You got to be fast. You got to be strong. You got to deliver ball below. Get off the, get off the, the block, and get to the football. Pursue well. Do everything, and be enthusiastic, and get excited. They they got a little excited on the defensive sideline, which I enjoyed watching when big plays were made, and 
and interceptions are made or bat downs are made and so on. Uh, I'm concerned a little bit. Uh, I know they haven't decided on what their starting lineups are. Okay, I I know that. uh, But I'm really concerned that where championships are won, and that's in the defense and offensive line. So I particularly watch the defensive line, and uh, I'm waiting for some people to really step up and dominate, try to dominate, and uh, someone really hasn't done that to me yet. I mean, I haven't seen that replacement of green or I haven't seen somebody uh, like when's the last time anyone saw Leonard Williams at USC? There hadn't been a Leonard Williams around, a guy that dominates and plays like that. Green might have been close to him if he'd have stuck around, but he didn't stick around. So, you know, this is the type of player you have to have to play great defense and win national championships. And I'm waiting for one of those guys to jump out now i know they've gotten a lot of four stars and five star guys but they just don't jump out at me i mean dominating somebody where they just can't block him and oh my goodness what are we going to do about this i haven't seen that so that somewhat worries me but again i don't get to see the individual drill drills because they're way down on the other side of the field and it's difficult to see on field level where they put us as you mentioned to, to watch the entire scrimmage to see what's going on, but I'm ready to see some of these young five-star defensive linemen that everybody was raving about to step up and start being who they're supposed to be, and I haven't seen that. Yeah, no, I agree with you, Coach, and, uh, you know, we'll see. There's there's a lot of depth there. I think the one thing you walk away from looking at, you know, the secondary, everybody, I mean, there's just a lot more bodies out there, but I don't think we know, I don't think people have separated themselves, you know, quite yet, but at least there's pieces in place that, you know, hopefully by the time fall camp rolls around for USC, they're able to figure this out because I think before there was a lot more limitations. Now it seems like there's at least more choices and opportunities for, you know, if there's three or four guys going for the spot, one of them might just blossom over the summer or the spring or whatever, and, and you got this better player that maybe you weren't expecting. No, I agree with you. And again, you're going to get some great players that come in in the fall, but I really feel that the football team has developed in, in the spring, uh, that's where you should be doing most of your hitting. That's where you develop the leadership. That's where you put it all together. And maybe in the fall, you don't have to hit as much, and you can worry a little bit more about techniques and execution and timing and all of that. But uh, you've got to get after it. You've got to find out who these guys are, who's going to be a playmaker. You've got to develop your playmakers. The guys are going to make big plays. And the only way you can do that is under a live gun type of situation and uh, find out who wants to make a block, find out who wants to make a tackle, and and be able to see what's happening there. And uh saw the one kid made a pretty good play, the kid from America, Samoa, number 41. I can't pronounce his name. You can help me out. He's really bulked up, and he's stronger, and uh, he made a good play. And I was just standing there thinking, and I said to myself, and here they burned a redshirt year on this kid. I don't know how many plays he played on special teams, 10, 12, maybe 20. Here's this kid going to be a good player like Randall Grimes. And, you know, he's improving, and and they've already used a year on him. So I think someone's got to take charge there and decide that, you know, these kids could be great players, but they need a redshirt year. And everyone can't play just to keep everybody happy. You've got to do what's best for him and the team. And I think they've got to take that part of their roster and development of players and all of that in, into their mind and their game planning and making sure 
that talent isn't wasted. And when you talk about depth and you talk about a lot of great players out there on the field, are they great players? There is a lot of depth. Are they great players, great players against great players, or are we waiting to see who the great players are? So it's not the number of players on the field that everybody talks about. I, 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 the way I think. It's the number of players that are football players that are on the field and guys that want to make plays. I think you're talking about uh, Giuliano Falanico. Is that? That's him. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, he did not. He played mostly special teams, I believe, last year. Wasted but, a whole year. Yeah. Uh, there's been a few of those. It's kind of strange. All right, well, let's jump into some of the questions, Coach. Uh, Tarek wants to know, how do Pittman and Vaughn, so he's talking about Michael Pittman and Tyler Vaughn's, take the next step from good to elite? Uh, that's a good question. Everybody waits to see that happen. Pittman now, again, is injured. He's been injured several times, and that certainly isn't going to help him make that leap. Uh, but uh, I think they, they just have to continue working, and they just have to continue using their athletic abilities, and have they hit that wall? You know, sometimes players hit that wall. They develop very young when they're in high school, and as their college years come around, they're already reached their plateau. They've already are as good as they're going to be. And they're already as fast as they're going to be. They're already who they are. And then you see some other players that come along that maybe were a three-star or four-star, and they say, where was, where was this guy? How come we didn't recruit this guy? Or whatever. So you have to be real good at your evaluation and making sure that these kids take the next step and the leadership. So I don't know what they have to do. They just have to play hard every down. they got to catch the ball when the ball is thrown to them. And then routes have got to be thrown to these guys to take advantage of their athletic ability as far as height, speed, route guys, make sure they're in certain positions where they can uh, make the catch and make the first down. And who is those guys? Who is the designated uh, survivor? Uh, who is the guy that's going to to always make that catch? And who is the guy that sometimes is forgotten and then makes the big play? If you remember, like Rogers used to make, uh, didn't catch a lot of balls, but made some great catches in big moments. And then again, use the tight end in a situation where people still don't believe USC is going to use the tight end. Okay. And I haven't seen it in the spring and I hope to see it. I hope not only in the spring, but in the fall. All right. Uh, we had a, okay. So Don in New York is our buddy Don on the East coast left about a three minute voicemail. Don, sorry, we can't play the whole thing. Just too long. got to edit that down a little bit before you send it in or try again. That's why you can, if you leave a long one, call back and, and say, hey, we're, I'm redoing this to a shorter one or something. But anyway, the gist of it was um, he was talking about playing time for like non-starters. He feels there's not an opportunity for someone that's not a starter to really compete with the established players. So he feels like there's not real competition there, that you get your starting job and you're just entrenched. Um, he doesn't want recruits hearing about these rumblings because he feels that's going to be hard. You know, a recruit's not going to come if he feels like he gets there and he can't compete because the starter's the starter. He was talking about Pete Carroll's uh, teams and the competition they had. It would keep players on their toes because they would always be looking over their shoulder. And he feels that makes a team better because the players are always, you know, trying to, you know, strive to get better and competing and not feeling safe in their starting spot. Uh, he was also envious of our beautiful weather here in Southern California. But that was the gist of Donna New York's uh, voicemail. Well, I agree with him. I think you've got to be able to compete 
And I think you've got to be able to go full speed to compete and give a guy a chance to beat the number one offensive tackle if you're an outside linebacker and compete in scrimmages and compete uh, against the number one guys. And the only way the number one guy gets better is to be challenged. He doesn't get challenged in, uh, or get better just in the games. You don't have enough terms, turns, but you do in practice with pass blocking and one blocking and inside drill and outside drill and half-line scrimmage and all the things that are necessary to execute your offense and make it go where backs are behind the offensive line following it and then giving guys a chance to 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 go live and who can dominate against the first offensive line or who can play and develop into a football player remember i don't care who can do uh, 50 225 pound bench presses i want to know who's a football player that jumps out at the screen and gets after people and gets mad when he misses a block and 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 wants to tells the coach run that play again run it again coach says well we can't run it again well you know i just want you to know i missed that block and it's my fault or i missed the tackle it's my fault run that play again i'll make that tackle you got to have that type of competition every day you step on the field that's why my rule was whenever you take the football field you put your helmet on and you never take it off that's your protective thing you've got to be ready to give a hit or take a hit at any one moment. Don't be looking for your helmet. Don't be sitting on your helmet. Don't be carrying your helmet. Wear it on your head. That's what it's all about. You don't take your shoes off between plays. So why not? Why take your helmet off? So, you know, I, I just think you have to have an intense feeling on the field to know that it's competitive, to know you're training to be a gladiator, to know that it's life and death on Saturday. And you got to make this feeling, and you got to have it within you. You can't just say this is what you're going to. You got to develop that, and the kids got to be like that. If I have to teach you how to be a football player and how to hit somebody, you're at the wrong school. Nice, coach. I like that. Um, you know, take your shoes off. Why take your helmet off? All right. I, I've never, I don't think I've heard that one before. Um, we got Tom in the South Bay. He says, "Hey, Ryan, enjoy the podcast. Keep up the good work. This is for the coach." It seems that the assistant coaches are doing their own thing, their own philosophy. As an example, the defensive coordinator is only playing a few players all the time and leaving others on the bench who can contribute. Also, T. Martin is using the same plays on third down and in the red zone, and we know the results, and Coach Baxter is doing his own thing. Do you think that it's time for Coach Clay Helton to step up and change this culture? After all, he is the head coach, and the results reflect on him. What do you think? Thank you, Tom, from the South Bay. So he apparently doesn't like the philosophies of the assistant coaches and wants Clay Helton to change them. But get your thoughts on all of that, Coach. Well, I think we've uh, addressed this topic many, many times. It's not Pentagrass's defense. It's not Baxter's special teams. It's Coach Helton's team. Uh, I was at John uh, McKay's restaurant last night for an event, and I kept looking around the room and I saw John McKay's pictures with his staff and championship teams and so on. Was there any question whose team that was? Was it Craig Furtick's team? Was it Dave Levy's team? Whose team was it? It was John McKay's team. John McKay was responsible for everything that happened on the field under all aspects. And if it didn't perform, he looked at you as an individual coach or threw the projector against the wall and said, I'm not going to put up with this type of football. And I think now that you don't have to do that, you have to have your own philosophy and personality, 
but you as a head football coach has got to be the one that's responsible for every aspect of that football team. Now, what used to bother me, they expect a football coach to be responsible for everybody when the kids are off the field. Now, I'm, I can't be responsible for 125 guys 24 hours a day. There's some responsibility that goes to the individual. There's some responsibility that goes to the parents. There's responsibility that goes to the kid and also to the director of admissions. I didn't admit him into school. And so there's the, there's a, a team here that has to surround these individual football players to make sure they're a complete person. But on the football field or on the practice field, it is my responsibility. It is my program as a head football coach. It's not anybody else's. And uh, have you ever heard it's not Nick Saban's football program or Urban Meyer's football program? Whose program is it? You don't hear him talk about other assistant coaches there. Yeah, you might know who they are. But the guy that beats the drum and the guy that carries the blowhorn and the guy that walks around and if he stares at you, you know you're in trouble, is the head football coach. And that's the tone he has to set on and off the field with everybody. All right, Coach. Uh, good one there. And uh, thanks for the question. we got a couple more. Uh, we'll start here. Pasadena Mac. I'm going to read the beginning part, and then I'll kind of summarize the rest because it's pretty long. He said, I liked reading that JT Daniels attended the opening and helped influence highly ranked players to favor the Trojans in the 2019 recruiting class. I also read that more than a few legacy and current Trojan players attended the camp, including Willie McGinnis, Curtis Conway, Chris Claiborne, Dory Jackson, and Amon Ross St. Brown, Jenny Harris, Marvin and C.J. Pollard, and Pa Young. Further, I think the attendance of former and current Trojans at the recent Pro Day brings home the concept of the Trojan family. So he likes seeing the former players out there. Um, he, he goes on to saying, could you create some sort of club that would be ambassadors of the program and then go to all these different events? He wanted something kind of organized, or is it just kind of uh, random? And he says, our, and, and he likes that there's skill guys showing up, but he says, um, how do we get more of the trench warriors to do the same? And I'll, I'll a couple comments real quick for Pasadena Mac first. Um, I mean, you there's like the Trojan football alumni club, like there's there is a club and stuff. But when you're talking about like going to events, if it's like the opening, um, yeah, there's NCAA rules that you can't, you know, like Curtis Conway's there. He's not allowed to recruit players to try to go to USC. Um, he's actually there, you know, probably covering or whatever. Um, you're not allowed to do that. So the the recruiting has to be for the coaches and not, you know, former alumni and stuff. Now there's a big group of alumni out there and they can go around and, um, you know, they show up events. So I think the way it is kind of randomly now works pretty well, but trying to organize something where you're, 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 Hey, you guys all go to this event. Cause there's this big recruit that USC wants to get. Now you're probably, you know, breaking a bunch of NCAA rules at that point. I get your thoughts on all that coach too. Well, you know, USC is paranoid on uh, uh, all of the rules and regulations of the NCAA, as you know. They go overboard in everything, and and uh, to protect uh, the spirit of the NCAA. And, uh, you know, it, it's very difficult not to walk by someone and say, hi, as this Friday I met the USC practice and, and one of the fathers of one of the players just, hey, coach, how are you? And I'm in the playpen, and 
he's by the door where you go out and and I'm not going to use his name, but he played for me at Pasadena City College, went to the University of Washington, played in two Rose Bowl games, was a great player, and his son's at USC. Well, he was with his son. So rather than have a nervous breakdown by everybody, by me going over and talk to him, I stayed where I was supposed to stay, and I said, nice to see you, take care. Now, I'm not going to recruit that kid. I'm not going to give that kid any special benefits. Uh, <laughs> I'm just going to hug his dad, shake his hand, maybe hug his son and say good luck and do that. But, you know, people don't want you to do that. Now, that's not a violation, okay? I'm not recruiting that kid. But you can't even talk to kids without permission the way I understand it. You correct me if I'm wrong. If a kid's uh, an athlete there or with his parents or get out of the playpen area and so on, and I never talk to recruit because I know that's not what I'm supposed to do. I won't even talk to his parents. Uh, They might say to me, hey, coach, are you coach Hyde? Yeah, that's great. Good. Thank you very much. Good luck. Hope your son makes the right decision. Bye. I'm not going to be rude to an individual, but, uh, yeah, I think that you've got to keep it separate, but I think, again, when these recruits see Chad Wheeler or see these players at practice, they know the support is there from the alumni. And I think that's very, very important to see. Don't think they don't know who they are. And uh, also, whoever their uh, recruiting uh, person who's in charge of them when they come can point those people out. And that's not a violation. So I think it's very important you utilize your alumni players and you use them in a way that works within the structure of the rules. But I don't think you can be paranoid. Yeah, and I think, um, I mean, as far as like an organization thing, I, I don't know. I mean, it's it's usually, if you're involved, you, know, you might be a former player and, and don't really, you aren't involved in football anymore. And there's a lot of former players that are around, you know, and, and they want to go to these events. I think the gist of what he was saying, though, too, Coach, is, seems like there's a lot of skill players, but maybe not as many linemen types that, uh, that you see around. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm curious. I don't know. I mean, it's funny when we see former offensive linemen coming to practice, a lot of times you see them and you maybe haven't seen them in five years and they lost a lot of weight. They look very different. I mean, it's, it's, I think linemen make some bigger transitions sometimes into life. than skill guys like kind of still look the same. Like sometimes linemen are really big or they get a lot smaller I don't know if that has anything to do with it, but it, there does seem to be more like former skill players around than some of the linemen. Yeah, because uh, a lot of the linemen uh, are scarce. There aren't maybe as many great linemen as there used to be the Brad Buddies, the Munozes, the uh, Yerries, the Regal. Uh, uh, you know, maybe USC hasn't produced as many of the Leonard Williams and Patterson and, and these type of players recently. Uh, so maybe that's why, but they produce more skilled players recently than they have interior linemen. So that could be a part of it too. And I agree with you as far as if you want to see anybody change their physical physique, physique, just watch uh, NFL football or watch ESPN or watch some of these guys that are doing it. You wouldn't even recognize them unless you knew who they were. I would say, um, watch for Sean Cody. He hangs around a lot cause he's doing the, uh, uh, he'll, he'll do some of the broadcasting stuff, you know, questions and answers after the game. He was out there at USC Pro Day. So he's at least one former lineman that's 
sticking around and doing stuff. Um, you'll see his name out there too. But thanks for that, Pasadena Mac. We got a couple more and we'll let you go. Tarek, would it be a good idea for the NCAA, since this is the time they debate rule changes, to add a rule that states you can't fire a coach midseason unless there are extremely dire circumstances? Interesting. What do you think, Coach? Well, I don't, yeah, I would agree it'd have to be extreme uh, circumstances. I agree. I don't think you should fire a coach just because you're losing midstream and give it to an coach. I think that's punishing the players at the same time and changing the momentum of the game. And the interim, uh, it's difficult on the interim coach because he wants to still be loyal to the coach that hired him, yet he wants to maintain the position as being the head football coach. So he does it his way and it more or less shows that there's a different way of doing it, which he should do. And and there's sometimes a difficulty uh, on the staff as far as other assistant coaches accepting him as the head football coach, as he's been their peers in uh, doing that. Uh, yeah, I don't like that. I don't think – I think there should be a proper period of time and a parade that's given to a coach, whether he's a – a national championship coach or a coach that maybe didn't win that many games, but he did his very best for the university. No one tries to lose. Everyone tries to win. It's just so hard to win today that it's difficult. And at some universities, you really don't have a chance because they're pretenders. I call them pretenders. They have a football program because their alumni want it, but from the top, they really don't care. And there's many of those type of schools that are around. So, uh, yeah, I would like to see it be a, a dead period, maybe from the end of the season or in the middle of the season or whatever, where there aren't any coaching changes until after the final bowl game of the year, the national championship game. And you move recruiting date. You've heard me talk about this back a month where everybody finishes their season. They don't leave and turn the team over to somebody else because they have to go put their new staff together because their minds and the staffs are not thinking about the players. They're thinking about their future and their families and where are we going to be next year. But uh, I think that's too easy to understand to solve by the NCAA. And I think that basically it should be in all clauses of all contracts. You don't quit till your job is finished and this is the date that you can start recruiting coaches or going after coaches. You can even call it a dead period, no recruiting, nothing going on for a certain period of time. And those coaches that get hired – then they can get started, but it's after the national championship game. Yeah, I think it would be – I mean, it's interesting. I think it would be really hard to kind of enforce something like that, you know, if a school wants to fire a coach. I mean, probably going to be able to fire the coach or at least diminish the role. I don't know. There's Yeah, it, but they don't care, see. Administrators yeah. will pat you on the back one day and fire you the next. You're yeah. only as good as your last game. So what I'm saying, unless it's extreme, like you just said, okay, something really extreme. Uh, then, you know, coach knows he's in trouble. Everybody, you know, you don't have to spread the word. You just, he knows, let's finish it out as strong as we can and get it done. Yeah. You don't have to punish the players for one air somewhere in the program by either, either an individual in academics or a kid or whatever. I mean, let's be realistic. Everything's not perfect, okay? And when you have 120 kids around and you're trying to win, everybody's trying to win. Hey, you know, some people think that, oh, the coaches don't care if a kid graduates. What are you talking about? You realize how easy it would be to coach if you didn't have to worry about academics? You want everybody to graduate. It would be fabulous. But a coach is responsible for everything. He wants to be the best at everything they do. 
So let's give some coaches some credit. Man, oh, man. I mean, some of these coaches that get fired are better than coaches at, a, at certain programs. They're just at a program that just doesn't get it done. They're not committed. And then there's so many coaches that never get a chance to be a head coach. We uh, we have one more question for you, Coach, and it's uh, our buddy Dan, USC class of 1962, more NCAA stuff. He said, the NCAA limits scholarships in all sports in order to equalize competition. However, scholarship limits are not the issue. Money is. If the NCAA wants... Uh, to be equal among all participating colleges, why not limit the amount of money that a school can use for athletics across all sports? This is analogous to money in politics where the billionaires can control voting as opposed to one person, one vote controlling politics. What would you think of putting a limit of, say, $50 million per school and let the schools then decide whether the money is going to go for higher coaching salaries or more scholarships? If a coach isn't getting... Four million, you might be able to have more than twelve scholarships for track and field and baseball sports that are suffering because of the lack of scholarships. If students are not going to be paid, then at least have more scholarships for student athletes across all sports. Your thoughts? Thanks as always for being critical of the corrupt NCAA, Dan. And uh, real quick, Dan, I think you're. I mean, when you're talking about Alabama. They're not going to limit their head coaching. They're going to spend a lot of that on football, and I think that would hurt all the other sports. If you did that, like, I, I don't think that would be a great solution because football makes the most money. So that's where you would pump the most money in and you would have less money for all the other sports already. But what, what do you think, coach? Well, you know, I think that uh, money has ruined the NCAA, the dollars, the amount of money coaches make, uh, uh, the race to facilities and everybody worrying about uh, more money, more money, more money, more money for season tickets, preferred seating, all, all of the different things. I think, you know, an education was something that's valued. Uh, how much do you make during your lifetime if you value the the price of an income of a USC uh, degree? I mean, uh, I would think that uh, when you don't have to pay income tax on a scholarship, uh, that's about 120000 130000 a year you have to earn if you're going to uh, – pay for a scholarship at USC. I would like to see, I agree with you, more scholarships to individual Olympic sports and so on. Uh, in the old days, the, the NCAA allowed unlimited scholarships for uh, the Division One college football programs. And I remember one year, Johnny Majors at Pitt took 130 freshmen. And the philosophy was, I'd rather take them than play against them. And that's the way the great teams continue to have great success. Uh, I, I think that there should be a number, and, and that number is whatever that number is. It's 85. When I coached, it was 105. They've cut that down as far as the numbers, and they've done that for a couple of reasons. First of all, to cut the budgets down in the large universities and also to share the talent with other universities so they can't stockpile the talent where they don't play against them. So that's one reason they did that. And, and I've always said this, you know, there's more programs or more universities that are not one of the big five conferences than there are. So they're never going to allow them to vote for these type of things because what happens is they'll vote everything out and make everything equal. So the big threat with the NCAA and, and the big five conferences is if you do vote that in and you do vote something in that we don't like, we'll leave the NCAA and form our own, which we'll call the super conferences. And then that will take all the big dollars out of the NCAA and the 
distribution of money from bowl games and everything else. Like you take the University of Nevada this past week, who lost by one point in the uh, lead eight. Uh, well, that cost the Mountain West Conference millions of dollars, each individual school in the Mountain West Conference. So you look at that, if they'd have got to the uh, whatever the next level, each school's receiving more money. So you can't really separate yourself or cut back. This is what the threat is and what they're dealing with. And uh, so it's. I think there should be more scholarships, and I think that coaching salaries are ridiculous. I really believe that. Uh, if you just told and put a limit in that each coach could get a million a year or 500000 a year, I don't think anybody would leave their job. I really don't. I mean, why would you leave your job? Where else are you going to do something that you love to do for that kind of money? Well, you're in the one percentile of the top incomes in the country. The only reason it's gotten to that because of the amount of money that the universities make and where we are today, and it's good marketing. And uh, But tell me another reason why you pay a coach that much money. I'm sorry I, I didn't make it. I wish I could have. But, again, I don't blame the coaches at all. Because if someone's willing to give it, take it, man. Yeah, that's our, that's our free market society. But I, I would love to see – more scholarships on baseball and track and things like that. And I, I think that's where Dan's getting to. I just, I don't think you're going to get very far if you're trying to take it away from football. Um, I don't think you'll get a lot of support there. So I, I'm not sure. Um, I'm hopeful that there's something that can be done uh, and this can happen, but um, I don't know at this point, but yeah, I, it's, I mean, to see, especially for a private school like USC, they get hurt the most coach. Cause you know, if you have, 11 and a half scholarships for baseball or whatever it is, something like that. Um, it's, you know, and you get a quarter scholarship from USC, you're still hooked <laughs> for like 40 grand. Um, and, you know, you do that at Cal State Fullerton and you pay a lot less. Agreed 100% on what you just said. All right. Well, that's the coach, Harvey Hyde. Follow him on Twitter at Coach Harvey Hyde. Go to his website. You can check out his shows too. He talks about USC all the time, just like us. Uh, coach, it's uh, harveyhyde.com. Is it not Coach Harvey Hyde, right? Just Harvey uh, Hyde. Just harveyhyde.com. Harveyhyde.com. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to make sure of that. And then follow on Twitter at Coach Harvey Hyde. Coach, thanks again for coming on. Great stuff. And I uh, look forward to seeing you out there at practice again. Thanks, buddy. And uh, have a great week, everyone. Talk to you soon. All right. Take care. That's the Coach Harvey Hyde. I'm Ryan Abraham. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Parastyle Podcast. And we will talk to you next time. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.